So while we're in that moment of still reflecting, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about or envision uh, your best marriage. And if you're engaged, this is probably something you're dreaming about right now. If you're a child, it's something you're thinking off way in the distance. And it's cartoon characters right now and fairy castles and that kind of stuff. Or maybe you are married. What would your marriage look like? The best marriage look like for you five or ten years down the road? What's that look like for you? Just think about that for a moment. For me, it came into vision when I met Tom and Tamara Sherwood. Tom's on staff with us here, and I met him when I was in fifth grade. And during that time, they modeled for me what a healthy marriage looked like. Not only were they in love with each other, but they were in love with God. They prayed and they saw his miracles everywhere they went. And they would share those miracles with me every time I went over their house. And it was, it was fulfilling. It was, it was life-giving. It was fun to be around them in their faith. And I wanted that for myself. I wanted that same type of marriage for my, for my now marriage that I have now. Now think about your kids. Think about your kids when they go to launch, 18 years old, and they're going out into the workplace, they're going out into college. What do they look like? What do your kids look like? Maybe you're in high school right now, and you're really thinking about that. You're really thinking about, what's my next step going to look like? You haven't envisioned it yet. You just want to get through this next set of exams, and you just want to pass my ACT, my SAT. I want to get done with it. Or maybe you're a parent at home, and you have a 43-year-old kid living in your basement still. And you're dreaming for him, like, I'm going to find you an apartment. Okay? What's that look like for you? What's that look like? For me, it's people like the Ebensburgers that adopt a family. And they have these daughters that love Jesus in a crazy way. Their daughters live not only, by, they don't live by their own strength, they live by the strength of the Holy Spirit. And their kids are going to go out and they do amazing things. If you've ever heard their kids sing or serve, they're incredible. I can see God in their family. And that's the best vision. And so I start working backwards on my kids. How can, they, how can I impart that on them? How can my wife and I start to, to do that with them? And when I see it, it becomes a little more tangible. When I see families like those, like the Sherwoods and the Ebensburgers. Now envision your workplace. Your workplace can be your home. If you're a retiree, it's wherever you go. If you're a student, it's school, that's your workplace. Or maybe you go to a cubicle every day. What's that best dream, though, you have for your workplace? What's that look like? I just caught my eye over here at Matt Suter. Matt Suter is an example of a man to me that transforms his workplace. He carries Christ with him wherever he goes. He lives out his faith like Roland Rubio does, and he prays at work. I see people like these men, and they show me, not only inside these four walls, but they live their faith out. Those are the kind of guys I like to look to to see what that workplace can look like if they take their faith out the four doors here. See, as a man, I need to see these things. I'm a very, very visual person. I, I have to see it in order to understand it sometimes. If it's too complex for me, sometimes like God words, it's kind of complex for me. I've got to see it. It has to become real to me or else it's just words on a page, right? It's just a good thought. It's a good idea. And today where we are in this series, we are looking as a church who we are 
as MCC, who we are as his church. And so far, we've, dis- we've distinguished these traits, these characteristics of we are chosen, we are hope, we are holy, we are family, we are people that are distinct, we are examples of our faith to others. We are mature in our faith. And like Daniel talked about last week, we are prepared for persecution. And today I want to talk to you about that we are servants. That's a characteristic that I want. Let me rephrase that. That's a characteristic that God wants our church to be known by. He wants us to be known that we would serve not only inside the four walls, but outside these four walls, wherever we go. That we would be people that would love others deeply in an incredible way. They would offer hospitality. And they would use their gifts. And so today, Peter gives us a crystal clear picture of what that looks like. He gives us a very, very accurate picture of what that looks like. And so what I want you to do is if you have your Bibles with you today, you have your phones on, you have anything. If you don't have anything, we have Bibles in front of you in the pews or we'll put them on the screens here. Open to page 859, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And I joke with the kids downstairs, what book comes after 1 Peter? Yeah, good. Okay, good. Just making sure you're awake. That's good. That's good. I'm going to start a little bit differently. Instead of starting at verse 1, I'm going to jump in right at verse 8. Right at verse 8. I'm a fast reader, so forgive me, okay? Verse 8 goes, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, it says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And verse 10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. Finally, verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as if it's speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, being this my third time up here, you guys have been very gracious. And I'm in seminary right now. I'm learning how to write sermons. And I'm a budding preacher. And if I, if I were to simply just to take those three verses right there, I could have my sermon outline. We could walk out the door. You could pat me on the back and say, that was a great job. So we got three points right there. We could love each other deeply, offer hospitality, use our gifts right there. And I, in fact, I put them in your impact notes. If you want to pull those out, there's some great notes on there for you that I took for you. Just to track along with me. But see, God's word is living. God's word is alive. It's real. We read at the beginning of John, it says the word became flesh. Jesus became our example that walked on this earth for us and showed us how we should live our lives. And so today, I just want to do a simple word study on some things here and bring out some words that make this incredibly brilliant. What Peter writes today to the congregation at the church he was writing to. So let's start with verse 8. Start with verse 8. The very first word, above all else, what's it say? Love. That's a word we throw around a lot. My wife gets so upset with me because I say I love you all the time to a lot of people. A lot of people. She gets frustrated with me. I validate it by this Greek passage right here, okay? So if we look at the four different variations of the word love, you understand that it has a deeper meaning than just what we give it as an American culture. 
So the first one is this. I didn't write this one down. It's storge. Storge meaning is a parental love. In all the undulating ups and downs of being a parent, you love them one minute, you want to kick them out of the house the next minute. You love their artwork and they're drawn on the walls the next minute. You know, there's, it's up and down, but you still love them. That's a parental love. It's storge. The second is eros. And if you've ever been on your honeymoon, that's the kind of love I'm talking about. Okay? Deep, passionate, all-encompassing, arms wrapped around, kiss on the lips. Eros. The third one and fourth one I wrote on your, your impact notes. It's phileo. Phileo is a brotherly love. You pull them in. You got your huddle. You got your guys you hang out with. Use your girlfriends you're hanging out with and you're loving on them. That's phileo. We get Philadelphia from there, the city of brotherly love, right? So phileo. And finally, the word that Peter uses is the word agape. Agape. And that's an unconditional love that God shows us unconditional love and see it's not based off a feeling it's based off of a choice a principle if you will that i'm going to choose to love you regardless of what you do to me i'm going to choose to love you because you are his people and that's what god says you are my children so i'm going to love you regardless of the sins you do regardless of the things you say the things that you think what you watch what you bring into your heart. I still love you. I love you so much. John three sixteen says, I'll give you my one and only son. That's love. And that's the word that Peter uses in verse eight. He goes, above all else, love. Love, agape love. And that's not devoid of feeling at all. In fact, Peter puts a feeling word at the end of it. He puts deeply. Other translations have intensely, sincerely, earnestly. Love each other intensely. One commentator that I was reading had a, an image of an athlete who is stretching every muscle he has to reach the finish line. Every muscle is flexed. He's putting every bit of effort he has into it to finish the race. And Peter says to us, love that deeply. Look to your left and right. Besides the person you came with, have you loved somebody in this congregation that deeply? That's what he wants us to be known by. He wants us to be those kind of servants. But see, that doesn't come naturally to us because, you know, in our nature, our sinful nature, we like to do things for ourselves. We like to satisfy ourselves, right? So he goes, okay, I'm going to make it a little bit easier on you. Well, let's look at verse 9. Simply offer hospitality. Offer hospitality to one another. Turn to the person next to you and take him out to lunch. Say, hey, we heard the same sermon. Let's go talk. I don't know you. Let's go have some lunch. You're my bud. Let's go. And in that word hospitality, there's two Greek words that are awesome. There's that phileo love, that brotherly love pulling people in. And there's also another word in there. It's xenos, which means guest, which means stranger, foreigner. Someone that doesn't think like you. Someone doesn't look like you. Someone dress like you. They don't spend the sa- their money the same way you do. Their kids don't go to your kid's school. They don't speak the same language we do. They don't have the same catchy phrases. But he says, offer them hospitality. Bring them in. Love on them. And that's difficult for this people that are reading in 1 Peter, this letter for the first time. Because, see, they're on the edge of Asia Minor. And they're dispersed out there because Caesar at that time, Nero, 
was a crackpot. He was crazy. He loved the drinking. He loved the ladies. He loved the party. And in fact, he started a fire in his own city to burn down places so he could put up his new playhouse to go do stuff he wants to do. And he was blaming the Christians. He's like, these guys are crazy. They're, they're drinking their Savior's blood and they're eating his flesh. Let's go blame it on them. I just want to build the place so I can go play and drink and do everything I want to do. And so the Christians were dispersed out to the very edge of Asia Minor. And Peter's saying to them, I want you to love so deeply that every muscle is flexed. I want you to offer hospitality to the stranger. And they're like, but wait, they could be trying to kill us. He's like, no, I want you to offer them hospitality. And again, I want you to see this. I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this. And so I'm inviting up Patty Howard to offer a story to you of how hospitality changed her life. My very first job um, out of college was in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, I moved up there not knowing anybody, no friends, no family. And my apartment very quickly got lonely and silent. So I decided that uh, one Sunday morning I'd uh, go to a church. (laughs) I chose one, the same denomination uh, where I had grown up, and uh, I found out there's a big difference of going to a church and being the church. So anyway, I remember on the drive that morning, I said to God, and I wasn't really in the habit of saying much to God, but for some reason I said, you know what, if somebody doesn't invite me out to lunch today, I'm done. I'm not going back. Mm -hmm. So I go in and take my seat and this lady at the end of the pew was interested, found out I was new to the area. And as the service ended, she walked over and said, would you like to come to my house for lunch? The next week, I thought, well, I guess I have to go back. (laughs) That week during the sermon, I heard, if you stay on the fence, you try to be on this side, and then you try to go and be on that side, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Well, that shook me to the core of my being. And as I walked out, I said to the pastor, I don't understand that passage. found out that wasn't the passage he had preached and he knew that. So he said, why don't you sit down right here and I'll be with you as soon as I finish greeting the people. And there he introduced me to my savior. He shared the gospel. I responded and you know, my life's been changed forever because somebody sat on the pew, walked down and said, would you like to go to lunch? Amen. Amen. That's all it takes. It's just offer. It's not difficult to do. And yet he goes on to give us more details. Let's let's read verse 9 together. I'm sorry, verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... He should, use, he should be speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. If anyone speaks, let it be the very words of God. If anyone serves, let him do it with all of God's strength, that intensity, 
some of us use words that are not so godly. I'm not just talking about cussing. I'm talking about how we tear each other down as Christians. We judge each other. We take every opportunity to scrutinize each other. I'm guilty of that. I'm first one looking in the mirror. I do that. And sometimes I don't serve with all my strength. I'm weary. I'm tired. But again, I meet other people, then I get juiced up again, and I'm ready to go back at it. I'm ready to cut some of those slivers off. And so I want you to see in high definition what this looks like. So I want to invite up to you someone who does this. His name is Pierre Perot. Pierre, would you mind coming up here? Every word Pierre speaks, he's intentional about making it God's words. Everything he does, he does it with God's strength. So divide by 35, subtract 6, and you're a lot closer to the truth. (laughs) A lot, a lot of years ago, God revealed to me that he is who he says he is, and he'll do what he said he would do. And for me, I had to find out what that meant. And so I studied the Bible over and 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 over, still doing it, reading it cover to cover over and over again. And I began to understand who God was. And then through a discipler, about 15 years ago, I was led to do a mission, vision, purpose for my own life. And in it, he asked me to write my epitaph, what would be on my gravestone. And I really sought God about that. In my prayer time, he said, just love me and love people. And so in my mission, vision, purpose, I had to understand what loving people would look like because that's how God would know that I loved him. I asked God in 1998 to help me remember his word because I was horrible at that. I really I mean study it a lot and then you can't even remember it. And he gave me that. He gave me that gift so that I can remember his word. And so as Patrick is probably referring to um, if I pray why well, pray my own words mm. go ahead and pray the words that he gave me. Because I know they're his words and he honors his word. And so I had an opportunity that Patrick presented to me a few months back. And um, actually, I think he was in cohorts with uh, his friend Tom Sherwood. And they asked me to go pray for somebody. And I, and I can't give details because it's within this church. And um, I, I have not been given permission to speak of it, so I'm not going to from that context. But I tried to say no to both Patrick and Tom Sherwood. They called me two separate days and said, would you go do this? And I thought, I don't know these people. I don't know this man. I I just, this is a situation where there's a death sentence. And what am I going to bring to that table? And um, so I fought that. I fought it for a few days. And Patrick kept calling me, honestly, and said, are you going And so finally I said, yes, almost out of obligation. But I cried out to God and said, Lord, 
I have nothing. I'm empty. I can't. I just don't know what I would say to these people. They're already grieving ahead of the situation and, and so on and so forth. And uh, so I made a bargain with God. Um, Lord, if I come out of that place and only scripture will have come out of my mouth, then I'll know this was you. And so I walked in and an hour and a half later, I, I just... It was kind of a blur. Hmm. But an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes later, I was sitting in my car and the tears were just running down my cheeks because I'd realized that all that was ever said in those hour and 15 minutes was dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures. And for some reason, they were all orderly and in an order. And that's not me. That day again changed my life and for the last three months it's it's a different life it's um it's knowing that if i'm giving a given a gift it's for god's glory for his people and to keep doing those kinds of things and so the gifts that i do have that i've been exercising for for many 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 years like hospitality I guess I've gotten pretty good at, but I'm uncomfortable with the gifts I have not done, like the word of knowledge, uh, as as a gift. And so to step out, knowing that I don't have any good wisdom, that only comes from God, and and being able to step up here is, Patrick asked me to come up here, and he says, just shoot from the hip. What am I going to say? God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he'll do. I am so convinced in my life, based on God showing up time and time and time again. Trust him to do that. Amen. It's the only thing that's worked for me. Amen. As you heard Pierre say, it doesn't come naturally, though. This is not our, our, our natural spiritual tendency to flex that muscle. And just like I was talking about the illustration of the athlete that's fully stretched, he or she has to practice on flexing those muscles and what that looks like. And so Peter helps us out. Jump back to verse 2 with me, and we'll go quickly here. As a result, this new life does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. We take time to indulge ourselves in our sins sometime. We take time sometimes to, to go back to our old ways. And he goes, you know what? For you have spent enough time doing that. What pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. While it may not look like a complete list to you, when he puts that word idolatry in there, it does. It's a complete list of all of our sins. Anytime we take what we love and put it above God, it becomes detestable. Whether that's our marriage, our family, our work, our lives, and put it above God, it's detestable. And that list has a common theme to it. It's all self-indulgent. It's all self-satisfying. It's all self-loving. Each one of those things that he names out there. He says, stop doing it. It's kind of like waiting in these pools here. Can you see the two kiddie pools up front? Okay. Taking off my socks so my socks don't get wet. 
some of us still run around that old crew, right? Our college buddies, guys we'd like to party with, or maybe those sorority girls that you did crazy stuff with back in the day. Maybe it's those neighbors that practice things like they're, they're a pretty rowdy bunch. And you're not in the deep end with them. Like it says here, let's look at verse five, but oh, I'm sorry, verse four. They think it's strange that you don't plunge into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. I love those words. I think they're even highlighted there. Plunge, flood, and heap. They think it's strange that you don't participate. You're just kind of on the edge. You're still with them, but you're not. It's not bad as them. I'm not in the deep end of it. You know, it's not that bad. Come on. But yet we still feel satisfied when we do it. When we do those sins that we can kind of hide in the dark. It feels good to us because that's our sinful nature. Or we're like this pool over here. In this pool, we claim to be Christian. We claim the title. We love it because we see certain benefits to it. We come to church each week. We look around like, this place is so beautiful. I love this building. I love the worship. Wow. And then, hours up, I'm out. See you guys. And you walk out the door. And we're ankle deep in our faith. And we're still ankle deep in sin. We don't take time to fully dive in. Because we enjoy it. Secretly, deep down, we feel satisfied. But that hunger, that longing for it, the plunge that we desire, is in Jesus Christ. He will satisfy that. Keep reading with me. This is good stuff. Because there will be a day that give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. It's a little bit of a tongue twister there. It's a little bit of something you have to untie. Man is going to judge you by the way you live, regardless if you're a Christian or not. People are going to look at you and say different things about you, aren't they? They're going to notice things about you. We all do it. Do you see what she was wearing? Mm. Do you see what they're doing? Mm. Okay. We all do it. But he says the big button there is that we need to live according to God's will. And I want to read you a quick email I received this week from a friend who's flying back from China. And he's in a business meeting in China of all places. And this Chinese businesswoman comes up to him and says this. She asked me if I was a Christian. She gave me the nicest compliment. She said, I knew you were by the way you talked and by your servant leadership. It gave me chills when she talked to me about her house church and the trials that God had called her to. And that she was going to lead witness uh, to one of her co-workers. She was going to share Christ with them on the way home to Shanghai. And it became very awkward on the plane because everybody started looking at us. They could hear our conversation that it wasn't a typical business conversation. And at the end, she shook my hand and she said goodbye. And she goes, now you're my brother. It is amazing how God is in the workplace. God is in China. God is everywhere. All things are possible. Friends, I want you to see this. I want you to see life lived out in its fullest. I want you to see lives that are sold out and a church full of servants. Can you imagine what MCC would look like five, ten years down the road if we started living out biblically what we're called to? If we started offering hospitality in heaps? If we were to flood this church with all of our gifts? If we were to love others deeply? What would this church look like in five, ten years? It would be a totally different place. 
I want you to see that. So hold on. deeply. Let us heap on hospitality to others. Let us plunge into a flood of gifts that we can offer this church community. See, our faith has to go deeper. It has to mean something. Otherwise, we're sitting in our sins ankle deep. And just like Patty said, you're either hot nor cold. And God's just going to spit you out. He's like, you've done nothing for me. I want you to take time right now and invite our prayer partners forward. And I want you to look at this card that we've specifically inserted into the bulletin today. I want you to look at it. And look at the multitude of opportunities that you have to show hospitality. The multitude of opportunities you have to serve the youngest of the young in our church and show them love. The opportunity that you have to run a camera so we can send out the message of Jesus Christ out to the every edge of the earth. These are opportunities I want you to pray about. Because if you go back to the scripture, there is a passage in there that says, offer hospitality without grumbling. See, I think some of us are grumbling that we have to wait five minutes before we enter the church service so we can get to our special seats. I think some of us are complaining when it's too cold in here. I think some of us have heart issues that we need to address. And with our prayer partners this morning, I want you to address those heart issues. Maybe it's hard for you to hear this message that the church is asking again. And you're asking like, they want my money, they want my time, they want all these things. Or maybe you're listening out of a heart of grace. And you're like, where, where can I serve? What can I do? What do you need? Because everything has been done for me. I know the grace I've received. I know the blessing I've received. I know what this life's about. And it's not about me. It's not about Patrick. It's not about you either. It's about what Christ is doing with us and through us. It's his will in us. So if you need to talk to a prayer partner, please, please pray about how you can serve and then drop that form off in the basket in the back. We need you to be the church. Our community needs to see you be the church. The expectation is now there. You've seen it. In fact, I would say to you, the expectation is to attend church service and then serve a service. Attend one hour and serve one hour. I've been given that permission from the leadership of the church to say that to you. We have that expectation for you. If you call MCC your home, we expect you to serve an hour and to worship an hour. And if that grumbling just hit you, if you just if you felt it inside your heart, like, ugh, I want you to check with God. Go to him who intensely loved you so much that his arms are outstretched for you. Who loved you that much, that deeply, that intensely, that sincerely, that earnestly. The reason he didn't have dinner with the Pharisees because all the sinners had offered him more hospitality. Let's not be that church, guys. Let's offer hospitality to everyone we see. 
And let's use our gifts to serve others. Let's go to prayer. Father God, thank you for these waters. Thank you for these deep waters that we can plunge into you, that you save us, that you, that you have washed our sins clean. And Lord, if there's any grumbling in my heart, Lord, I give that to you. Because you are God, you are able. What has washed away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus has done that. And you have saved me and I can live a life that is grateful for that, Lord. Please, Lord, as the church of MCC, as your church, as your bride, I pray for our congregation now that they would pray for ways that they can use their gifts to flood this church with their gifts. That they would plunge into serving others with hospitality. And that they would love each other deeply and sincerely and intensely. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Just take a minute to reflect, and then you're free to go today. God bless you.